Homestyle Green, episode 148. How do you design your home for your climate? G'day and welcome back to another episode of Homestyle Green. This is the podcast dedicated to inspiring people to make a better place to live. This week I'm speaking with architect and sustainable design expert Graham Hunt and he's an architect now based in the central coast of New South Wales just in from Sydney and he's doing some great stuff using Accurate and Thermal Modelling, stuff we've talked about before on the show but he goes into a bit of detail about why that's important and how he creates good designs for comfortable and energy efficient homes in a temperate and relatively humid climate using uh, thermal mass and good good insulation. So I hope you enjoy this interview. I started out by asking Graham why he does what he does. Well, it's a long, I guess, a long evolution. Um, I guess I've always had a, a close connection with the environment. I guess it was just the way I was brought up. I, I lived from a very young age on a farm, but then moved to the city um, when I first studied architecture in the early 70s, the course I did had a very strong environmental um, I guess that instilled me the, I guess, the strong interest in that. Yeah. Um, yeah. Since then, um, I'm obviously working in the commercial architectural world, world you don't often have opportunities to, you know, pursue good environmental practice. That's certainly changed in the last 15 to 10 years. Um, but I had some opportunities early. Um, I, my first homes that I built in the early 80s were um, on a passive solar design principle with someone who was trying to develop houses made out of concrete in this space. Uh, sprayed concrete, similar right, to what right. you use in pool construction. Um, so that was innovative. Um, in the early 90s, I worked overseas in a uh, technology centre in Africa, work, doing research and development in regard to building materials and um, climatic responsive design. So that was another opportunity for me to hone my skills. What is that? mean in practical terms climatic responsive design well it's developing designs um, not just the layout but the correct use of materials and so forth that are work well with the local environment um, mm -hmm. and it might macro and micro environment so um, the first critical thing in terms of developing such a design is understanding the site and the local site conditions from mm -hmm. a macro and microclimatic um, approach, um, even, you know, having a good understanding of the local climate data. Um, yeah. You know, where, where the winds come from, when the dry periods are, when how clear the days are in terms of solar planning, whether you have a lot of clouds, what the humidity is like. All of those sort of factors um, can impact on um, your orientation, where you place windows, um, um, we're pretty well um, located in Sydney here, it's um, a fairly 
mild maritime climate. I'm sure there's lots of places in New Zealand that are similar. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we we get in the summer afternoons a nor'easter breeze that comes in very regularly. Um, and in winter, our cold winds are from the opposite direction, from the southwest. Um, so just that simple fact gives you a, a really strong basis on which to develop designs. That's, That's very interesting, that level of detail, because quite often people just look at temperature yeah. and maybe the average temperature, maybe a bit about humidity or rainfall. But you, you've, you're taking that a lot further um, thinking about wind, wind direction, uh, but also not just the temperature, but is it a direct sunlight or is it diffuse light with cloud cover and um, as, as well as humidity? And I guess with this, things like sea breezes, the, that's going to have daily changes as well. So that, yes. I imagine, could get quite complicated fairly quickly. Oh, uh, yes. I mean, you know, there's a lot of variation. So, I mean, you can't design for all that variation. You've got to go for the, the major trends. And um, it's also, I guess, um, it can vary, you know, for a different climate zones, like designing for, for a desert situation, say, in the middle of Australia, like Alice Springs, it's a totally different approach. Yeah. You know, yeah. It's, it's more a heavy mass sort of thing. Um, that's an ideal situation where in the wintertime the day, days are often very clear but the nights are cold. So you can use that direct sun in the daylight to heat up your thermal mass and as long as it's well insulated, it's not hard to get um, a good um, passive solar performance. Um, sometimes where there's a more temperate climate can actually be more difficult because you get um, you know, the variations can happen a lot and humidity is a challenge in terms of dealing with it. Um, so in the northern coast and in Queensland, um, ventilation can is, you know, the easiest way to deal with that. But um, in an in-between climate like Sydney where you do get quite a cold winter, so you design sort of quite heavy mass to deal with that, but you also need... You know, it's good to have a, a lightweight design that can lose its heat and ventilate easily. Um, so sometimes, yeah, trying to meet the different requirements can be a challenge. So how do you do that? Because you can't have both, or can you have uh, uh, mass yes, and a lightweight? You can. It's getting the balance right. Um, and the useful tool is the thermal modelling software um, I use a fair bit um, and that can guide you on in that regard. Um, I've, the rule of thumb I've found for our climate here, the best approach is to actually have your external walls as a lightweight wall or a reverse brick veneer wall and the internal walls being um, your mass walls or the okay. slab. Um, so you've got your insulated envelope, which is controlling, you know, the heat loss or gain. Yeah. Um, and then your thermal mass is totally isolated from that being on the inside. And so it can re remain quite stable from a temperature perspective. And does that uh, limit the amount of direct sunlight you get on those internal exposed well, heavy, heavy mass surfaces? Yeah, well, that, 
again, is a, is a challenge in some, it, if you don't have good orientation um, and you're not getting that sun onto those walls, then you may have too much thermal mass and you've got too much heating load that you need in winter to bring those walls up to a comfortable level. Because then they're acting as a heat sink. Yeah, yeah, which fine in summer, but it could be lazy for you in winter. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah, um, you know, and often when you're in the middle of a city, you don't have much control over your orientation. Um, and in Sydney, you know, if someone's got nice harbour views to the south, um, they want to have big picture windows um, and maybe, you know, and in an old double brick home, um, you know, you, you end up with too much thermal mass and you can't get enough sun in to, to bring that to a comfortable level. Now you mentioned uh, thermal modelling software. You, that's quite a big part of your practice, isn't it? You, you're a designer, but you also do sustainability consulting. Is it? Yeah. How would you describe it? Yes, it, that's true, and a lot of that is um, doing ratings using software. Um, for a lot of it's for compliance um, within New South Wales and in Australia, the, under the, the building code and the planning codes here, there's requirements for energy efficiency, mm. and to achieve some of those requirements, some the path of compliance can include doing a, a thermal comfort rating using uh, the software I use is Accurate, yep. which was developed by the CSIRO here. Mm -hmm. um, and basically it's a mathematical algorithm that, that you, where you feed in all the data about the building, the orientation, the materials, the size of windows and walls, and, and it calculates the thermal mass and, and the heat load and gain or loss on the building envelope and from that it, it, it creates an estimate of what the possible heating and cooling loads with the building can be. I mean they're only an estimate because that can vary significantly depending on how the occupants use the building and use the heating equipment um, but it's a it's a an estimate and that gives you a basis to then sort of make adjustments. Um, once you've set up the model, you can say change your windows from single glazing to double glazing, and then you can see what impact that will have on performance. And does do you use it in that way as a design tool as well as a compliance tool? Yes, um, probably 50% of the time I'm using it as a design tool on my own projects, but also to help other people. Um, you know, a lot of people do only just want to achieve compliance, but now there's a, a lot of people who are wanting to go beyond that. Um, you know, it's understanding that compliance is the bare minimum you have to build. It doesn't necessarily mean it's, it's you know, what we should be building in terms of trying to get a very comfortable and a, a very efficient, um, you know, performance. I'm interested in the bare minimum because it, it often comes up. Why does the bare minimum persist and, and what typically do you see going wrong for um, normal construction? If you, if you go out to a regular subdivision somewhere, what, what are some of the things that you see are, uh, are just not done very well? Well, a big difference is um, someone like me sitting in an office and on a computer 
doing an analysis that's saying this is how it should be done and then that um, provides a specification which then is used in producing the construction documents that the builder builds from. Um, the one issue here is the actual building industry is still learning about uh, insulation and um, ceiling buildings and the how important these um, aspects are. And so there is often a loss of performance in the actual construction because it's not built as it's perhaps modelled in the software. Right. Um, and that that is an ongoing issue. It is improving, but um, there's certainly a lack of knowledge and unfortunately in the marketplace a lack of interest in um, in people being concerned about that. You know, people are concerned about pool safety and they're concerned about, say, acoustics between buildings. Um, but in terms of thermal performance, there's, there's not that driver mm -hmm. in terms of when in delivery of buildings, and that, that is, a, is a big issue. Um, there's also a perception that it just is an unnecessary cost, and we're actually facing at the moment a possible revision of the uh, building regulations here to um, sort of lower the bar again. Um, wow. In, about in around 2005, they started to introduce the concept of five-star and six-star houses, which eventually adopted nationally. New South Wales has a slightly different scheme, but it still had a scheme. Um, and but the actual using this software, the rating scheme with the software, which is the NATA's National Home Energy Rating Scheme, they're talking now of bringing in um, other softwares which um, work within CAD programs, enabling um, designers to just do their own ratings. Right, and there's, right. a, there's a concern that the uh, stringency and the performance levels are going to drop accordingly. Um, which is not good. So on the so, flip side to that, you obviously attract people who do want to go above the code and who are interested in a higher-performing home. For those yeah. people, because that's really the audience for, for this show that, that sort of get that, Yeah. What uh, well, you've mentioned thermal mass and orientation. Are they the fundamentals? What what If you had to kind of say the top three recommendations for designing a good house, what would they be? Well, the orientations critical. You may be constrained depending on your site. Um, the, um, and the, the thermal mass insulation and glazing are the critical things. Not right. having too much glazing, making sure the glazing is orientated properly, not only for the sun but also for ventilation depending where your winds are coming from. And that there's, not, there's the right proportion of it. There's not too much or too little. Um, the other thing is in terms of making a home sustainable, um, you know, people talk about all the add-ons like solar panels and, and so forth and good lighting or whatever. Um, that's, they're technologies that are changing very quickly. The crucial thing is getting the layout of your building right from a passive solar perspective because that's so much harder to change. Um, right, right. Whereas can't, can't the, that. 
Sorry? You can't you retrofit can't good orientation. No, no. And and getting insulation in there, it's much harder to to re-add that, whereas, you know, in another 10 years, there might be a totally new technology for solar panels or a new hot water system that we can plug in. Um, but it's more crucial because the building's going to be there a minimum of, say, 50 years, um, it's most crucial that you get the orientation and the glazing and thermal mass proportions correct. Now, just before I ask Graham about his thoughts on the role of an architect in a modern building, just want to do a quick thanks to our great sponsor who brings us this show each week, ProClimber. And I spoke to a builder down in Queenstown recently, Dennis Dowling, about why he likes to use ProClimber products. There are, there are several different products on the market, and I suppose ProClimber um, benefits from brand leadership. Mm -hmm. um, also, they have um, quite a good R&D process. And I suppose fundamentally, I'm fairly risk adverse. So while I'm very open to trying new things and looking at things differently and trying to create a new way of, of getting from A to B, um, I don't necessarily like doing that on untested or untried products. Yeah. And ProClima has, you know, a very long time of being in the market. So while it's relatively new to the New Zealand market, it's been in the market for a long time and it's in a lot of very large markets and it does very well. And, it, and as a result of that, it has a system that goes with it. It has a process to follow. It's that you can see videos on how it works. People have an understanding of it. It's a relatable um, product to those in the industry who are building in this space. Um, so as a result, um, it's very easy to get any information that you want on it. And further to that, when you come across something, because New Zealand loves to build bespoke architecture, when you come to something that's a little different or unique, oftentimes, if there isn't a direct um, comparison that's been done before, there is at least the knowledge resource bank to get that information to you um, that addresses your specific concern. Dennis Dowling there, and he produces very high-performance homes, and he uses ProClimate to do that. So check them out, proclimate.com.au or proclimate.co.nz. Now, let's get back to the interview with Graham Hunt. In your, you've got a video up on uh, YouTube um, in which you describe some more of your journey, and it's quite, quite a, an interesting journey of, of disenfranchisement with the industry and, and then coming back to, to architecture. Yes. I don't want to dwell on that too much because obviously you, you've gone and had some amazing experiences in Outback Australia. And I'll, I'll put a link to that so people can go and go and check that out. But one of the things you mentioned in that video is the role of architecture. And you're, you've studied history. Given that only a small fraction of houses uh, across the world really, but t t definitely in Australia, New Zealand, UK, only a fraction of houses are seen by a... A, a true architect. Yeah. Um, what is the role of architecture in in the modern housing industry? Yeah, that's an interesting question. Um, well, I think to um, provide good, practical, um, affordable solutions. Um, I saw a film last night of a new house built in. Tasmania, which was a nine-star house, mm -hmm. 
but using um, German technology, imported German timber framing, uh, prefabricated systems, imported triple glazed German windows. Um, it, it, the budget was doubled um, because they had to use cranes. And wow. um, I mean, a very good outcome in terms of performance, <laughs> yeah. but you know, who can afford it? And you know, it's, it's developing, um, you know, affordable, practical solutions. And that's happening. There's a lot of development occurring in prefabricated buildings here. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that is certainly a way to address the affordability. Um, you can make really well-sealed, well-insulated buildings using re renewable materials. There's minimal waste. Um, so I think, and, and architects have the skills to develop efficient designs for those sort of systems, and I really think that's probably the the way forward if if architects are going to get involved in the mass market. Because at the because moment, it, that's not where they typically are, are they? No. The general no. assumption, if you're <laughs> if you're engaging an architect, is that you're at the top end. Yes, that's true. Um, and that's part of, yeah, um, well, the profession's marketed itself that way. It, it does make itself, um, I guess, unaffordable for people. Um, but it is possible to, I wouldn't say most of my clients are, are top end. A lot of them are young families who have homes that are small and they have growing families. Um, and a lot of the budgets I deal with are sort of, you know, around the two hundred to five hundred thousand dollar mark. Um, and on top of that, with the analysis that you've got, and by no means that's exclusive. That I would, there would be others that could do and probably should do a similar type of analysis. Can you not potentially provide a more affordable house ongoing because you're actually looking at the operating costs? For that house, not just the the upfront costs, is is that a marketing challenge for architects in general to get across that message that we're not just talking about the building in the first place, yes. but how 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 much is going to cost to own this and maintain this thing? Uh, certainly, um, and it needs to be more of a focus. Um, fortunately, I think the focus of the majority of architects is still more about the aesthetics, uh -huh. um, and um, and so they're not really addressing those issues with their clients. There's some that are, certainly, you know, um, but the, it's usually I, the architects that I consult with and help with that sort of thing are usually involved when they've had a client approach them with that sort of input rather than the architect, right, um, right. you know, pushing the issue. Mm, mm. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, there's certainly scope for us to, um, you know, to um, harness our skills. It's happened a lot in the commercial um, building world over here, through, mainly through the driving of the Green Building Council. I'm not sure if you're familiar. Yep, yep. Yeah, so any architects working in that sort of field now are forced to be up to speed. Um, but it hasn't sort of um, followed through so much in the um, residential market and also in the 
apartment market, market, which is now where most of the new buildings are being, new homes are being built in Sydney. Uh, yeah, right. Yeah. Do you think it? Do you think it's coming? Do you think that change will happen? Um, well, part part of the driver is there's a huge demand for housing. Yeah, and people, um, and you're probably aware of how crazy the real estate market here has become. Yeah, um, that you can put anything up and people will buy it. Basically, you know, so there's no market advantage if you do something that has a sustainable, um, you know, um, advantage. Um, and part of that is that it, you're right in that it's not being explained that the benefits of it and the real estate industry, there are some people in that industry who have been trying to engage with that, but uh, generally it's it doesn't get on the radar at all. So generally the are people coming to you um because they're that way inclined already or do you ever try and uh convince people of the benefits of being more energy efficient and, and more sustainable or are you just generally people coming because they know what you do um well mainly both i mean sorry it's mainly people coming to me primarily through word of mouth yeah um, yep. but i do go out through organizations like the ata the alternative mm -hmm. Technology Association and other groups. I was, that's where a meeting I was at last night where we had this film. So I sort of go to, um, we have stalls of bears and other events where I give talks at local councils and so forth. So um, I do try and get out there and, and spread the word, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Now, should, uh, before we finish up, I should mention uh, Narara of Eco Village because that's. Um, in part where I first came across your work. Can you tell us a bit about what that is and, and what you, your involvement's been? Yes, that is a, um, well, it's a, a group of enthusiastic people on the central coast just north of Sydney um, had put their resources together and they wanted to um, create a, or find a location where they could all build houses and create a community that had a sustainability focus. And they were fortunate in being able to purchase a, what had been an agricultural research station, which was up for sale. So mm -hmm. it was this large block of land um, on the edge of suburban development, which had bushland behind it. It had a huge dam um, and existing um, fruit trees and other things as a result of the agricultural research work and a lot of existing buildings. Um, and so... They've formed a, a um, cooperative and they've developed a master plan which has received approval from the, the council um, and they're now um, selling lots to members within that development so people will be building their own houses and there will also be cluster type developments um, as well. I was initially engaged to do thermal comfort ratings on the cluster development um, and now I've been engaged to assist them develop their building standards for the individual houses. They're going to have a set of rules and um, I guess a level of performance that people need to achieve 
mm -hmm. um, in order to make sure that the standard through the village is, is high and that the, the overall um, sustainability goals are met um, by, you know, all of the buildings, you know, functioning at a certain level. Um, but it's not just individual buildings, you know, there's going to be, um, there's a more holistic approach. There's, you know, going to be permaculture gardens and, and a whole lot of other activities. Mm. They're also looking at transport initiatives within the, the village as well. It's a, a stunning looking place. I mean, the, the images there are, are pretty amazing. Well, how yeah. many people are they uh, looking at um, eventually having mm -hmm. on site? That's a good question. Um, I'm not sure off the top of my head. I, th I think there might be, don't quote me on this, I think there might be about 150 individual home sites. And right, they, right. there's four cluster sites and they probably have 15 um, dwellings on each one. Yeah, so it's, you get a sense it's a reasonable size. It's, it's going yeah, to be yeah, quite yeah. a... Quite a um, a substantial development so that that's uh i'll put a link to that so people can check that out because it's definitely worth having a look at and watching the the progress of that and that, that's really exciting as well to see a a body that is saying well we want to go above we want to set the standard higher than what the state or the federal government's going to do and yes. uh this is this is what we want to aspire to and anyone who wants to come and join us is welcome but these are the standards that you're going to have to build to if you if you want to be here yeah. so hopefully this, that'll provide leadership for the rest of the state Yes, well, there have been other examples elsewhere, but what's interesting, they've actually approached the council about um, the council sort of gazetting for their site that they have to reach a higher standard. Right. Not just the, the, the minimum one. Yeah, yeah. that would be a nice alternative to um, the other crazy rules that some subdivisions have when they stipulate the colour of the fences and yes, <laughs> the type of cladding you have to have. Hey, um, had, to, had to go through a similar process in order yeah. to have covenants on the properties and so forth. Graham, um, it's uh, it's great to, to catch up with you. You've got a lot of information out there, and people can find out uh, more about you and uh, what you've been up to and and how to work with you. Where, where's the best place for people to find you if they do want to get more? Um, well, the the website's the best. Um, www.gehunt dot com dot au yep and there's an email link on there if they want to know any more information perfect please feel free awesome hey well thank you very much for your time graham really appreciate it thank you matthew pleasure architect and sustainable design expert there graham hunt and you can find graham and all some of his previous projects over at gehunt gehunt.com.au if you are not in the Sydney or New South Wales area and you'd like to find someone like Graham, then why not get in touch with me, uh, Matthew at homestylegreen.com, and I'd love to see if I can put you uh, in touch with someone who can help or point you in the right direction. You can also try the directory that I'm growing. It's got um, over 100 names on it now of designers and builders around the world. Um, go to homestylegreen.com and click on the directory link and you can find uh, and search and filter people there if you're looking for a, a designer or a builder for your project. Thank you very much for tuning in. Uh, look forward to bringing you another episode next week on Homestyle Green. I am Matthew Cutler-Welsh. Now go make a better place to live. Mm -hmm.